All right, now we get to the point that we came here for this morning. Take your Bibles and turn to Proverbs chapter 18. Proverbs chapter 18. It's an amazing thing to me that technology, I mean, uh, that, that a virus can close down the world, uh, but God's given us avenues that we can still use to preach the Word of God. And that's a tremendous thing. I'm so thankful for the opportunity to get together here this morning and to be able to live stream and to be able to get the Word of God out. Today was supposed to have been our friend day. We've been preparing this for, for three months, since the beginning of the year. We had cards made up. We passed those out. Maybe you got a card from somebody uh, inviting you to the friend day. Uh, but it's a day when we invite our friends and our family to come to church with us. Obviously, the coronavirus had other plans, and we digress. But God laid a message on my heart uh, that fits with what today's theme would have been. And that's the message that I want to give you this morning. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 18 and verse number 24, a man that hath friends must show himself friendly, and there is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. The second part of that verse is the one that I want to focus on this morning. I want to introduce you to a friend of mine that we see throughout the Bible, but especially in the New Testament. This friend is Jesus. He's a tremendous friend. And there's a lot of people in this world today that might look around and say, I have no friends. Nobody likes me. Everybody hates me. I guess I'll go eat worms. Uh, you know, it's a joke, a, kid's, a little kid's rhyme or whatever. But, you know, that, that, that is a, a true statement for a lot of people. They don't have any friends. Or maybe you've got all the friends that you could possibly want, but yet you still feel alone. I want to introduce you to my friend this morning, uh, the message, the title of the message is simply this, there is a friend. There is a friend. Let's pray, and then we'll get into this message this morning. Father, we love you. Again, we thank you so much for the opportunity we have to, to gather around your word. Pray that you'd bless each one of us wherever we are, wherever we're watching, wherever we're listening. The word of God is powerful, and you say that your word will not return void. I pray that it would, as it goes forth this morning, that it would speak to our hearts in only the way that you can cause it to do that. God, we thank you again for everything that you do for us in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I will get you this morning, if you will, to turn in these passages with me. We've got a, quite a few passages that we're going to look at this morning. But I want you to see this, first of all. Jesus is a friend of sinners. Turn over to Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11, Jesus is a friend of sinners. Now, we see in Matthew chapter 11, we see almost the exact same story and almost word for word the exact same verse in the book of Luke. But Matthew chapter 11 and verse 19, the Bible says this, The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, Behold, a man gluttonous and a wine-bibber, a friend of publicans and sinners. Wisdom is justified of her children. They meant that as a way to mock Jesus Christ. But if there was anything that characterized Jesus Christ throughout his earthly ministry, it was that he was a friend to sinners. Now, time forbids me to tell you the story of the woman at the well. But many of you know that story in John chapter 4. And in John chapter 4, this woman comes to the well and she is just feeding, getting water to take back into the city for her family and for the animals and things that they had. And Jesus, going through Samaria, the Bible says he had needs, he must needs go through Samaria. The Jews did not go through Samaria. They looked at the Samaritans as dogs. They looked at them as half-breeds because they were part Jew and part Gentile. And most of them wanted nothing to do with the Samaritans. But Jesus had need to go through Samaria. He knew there was a woman, a sinner, who was sitting at the well that needed a Savior. 
Turn over to Luke chapter 19. This is a story that most of you are familiar with as well. We could go all the way throughout the Bible, and I could give you story after story after story of sinners that Jesus Christ spoke to, befriended, showed their need of a Savior. But here's a story that many kids know, especially because we sing the story of Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. He climbed up in a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see, and that's exactly what happened, and that's exactly what we see in this story in Luke chapter 19. Zacchaeus was, the Bible said, very short of stature. He was, a, he was just a little man, and he was trying to see Jesus through this crowd. He was curious, like all of the others that were there were, about something has got to be up with this Jesus. There's got to be something about him that makes everybody want to see him. But Zacchaeus was just a short little guy. He couldn't see Jesus. And so he wanted to get a better viewpoint, and he climbed up into a tree. And that's where we pick it up in the story in Luke chapter 19 and verse number 5. And when Jesus came to that place, he looked up. Could you imagine what Zacchaeus must have been thinking? Don't see me, don't see me, don't see me. But Jesus walks, and when he gets under the tree that Zacchaeus is in, Jesus looks up, and there's Zacchaeus, that short little man, higher than everybody else in that tree. And Jesus said this unto Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus... Make haste and come down, for today I must abide at thy house. And he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all murmured, saying that he was gone to be guest with a man that is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said unto the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have taken anything from any man by false accusation, I restore him fourfold. Now, that didn't have anything to do with Zacchaeus actually getting into heaven. That was a result of Zacchaeus accepting Jesus Christ as his own personal Savior, accepting Jesus Christ as the Messiah. And we see that in verse number 9. Jesus said unto him, This day is salvation come to this house, for so much as he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. I'm so glad that Jesus Christ came looking for me. I'm so glad that he saw me for who I could be and not who I was. I'm glad that Jesus Christ came to be a guest of an old sinner like me and he saved me and he gave me life eternal and he gave me a home in heaven. He did it for the woman at the well. He did it for Zacchaeus. He did it for me and he can do it for you. And if you know Jesus Christ is your Savior this morning, then you know the peace and the joy and the happiness that can only come from knowing Jesus Christ. But if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior this morning, I want you to know this, this morning, Jesus Christ is your friend, and he wants to save you. Many people today have the thought in their mind that they're too messed up or too wicked a sinner for Jesus Christ to ever be able to save them. There are only two types of people in this world. There are saved sinners, and there are lost sinners. Just because I know Jesus Christ is my Savior, and just because I have the full assurance that if I died in this moment, I would go to heaven and I would spend an eternity with Jesus Christ, does not make me better than somebody else. It doesn't make me better than you. And just because you may not know Jesus Christ as your Savior doesn't mean that you're beyond His reach. The whole purpose of the ministry of Jesus Christ on this earth, as we read in that last verse, was to seek and to save that which was lost. Jesus Christ was a tremendous teacher, but that's not why he came. Jesus Christ was a good person, and he was a good example, but that's not why he came. Jesus Christ did miracles. He healed the lame. He healed the blind. He gave the deaf their hearing back. He did so many things, but that's not why Jesus came. 
Jesus came to seek and to save lost sinners. His heart is broken and he's actively pursuing you. He's not running from you because of your lifestyle or because you're a horrible, wicked sinner or any of those things. Can I tell you how you can know for sure that you can go to heaven when you die? It's certainly not by doing all the good that we can do. It would never be enough to get us into heaven. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8, For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. You see, it's certainly not by trying hard to live clean. It's not by being baptized. It's not by joining a church. It's not by giving money to a church. I read a quote that said this, Money will buy a bed but not sleep, books but not brains, food but not appetite, finery but not beauty, a house but not a home, medicine but not health, luxuries but not culture, amusements but not happiness, religion but not salvation, a passport to everywhere but heaven. See, all the good that we can do is for nothing when it comes to trying to get to heaven. No, beloved, it's through Jesus Christ, the friend of sinners, and through him alone that we could get to heaven. If we could earn our way to heaven by being a good person or by doing enough good things, then why did Jesus Christ even have to die on the cross? His death was for nothing if I don't need him to get to heaven. If I can have If, well, Jesus died on the cross, and yes, he died for our sins, but I still have to be a good person, then that means that Jesus Christ's death on the cross was not enough. If I have to count on something else besides Jesus Christ, then his death was not enough. But the truth is, it was enough. And Jesus Christ came to seek and to save lost sinners. He saved me. He can save you in the same way. No, he died on the cross to be the payment and to take my penalty so that I don't have to spend an eternity in hell. The Bible says in Romans chapter 3 and verse 23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That means because I'm a sinner, because you're a sinner, because every one of us have done something bad in our life at some point. You may not have killed somebody. You may not have robbed the bank, but you probably disobeyed your parents. You probably told a lie, even if it was just a little white one. You've probably taken something that didn't belong to you at some point in your life. We're all sinners. We all deserve to die. For all have sinned, the Bible says, and come short of the glory of God. I cannot get to heaven because of my sin. And boy, that would be so discouraging if we didn't have other verses in the Bible, like Romans chapter 6 and verse 23, for the wages of sin is death. Because I am a sinner... I deserve to die and spend an eternity in hell for all the good that I can do. And and look, we should be trying to do good. The Bible says that Jesus went about doing good. But because of my sin, I deserve to spend an eternity in hell. But the verse doesn't end there. It says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. It says, for the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Romans chapter 5 and verse 8, but God commendeth his love toward us. God gave his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He loved me, a sinner, so much that even when I was sinning, he died on the cross for me. Now, obviously, Jesus died, was crucified, and rose again from the dead 2,000 years ago. 
I was not even thought of at that point. My parents, my grandparents, my great, 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 as many times as you can go back, grandparents, had not even been thought of yet. But I was on his mind when he was on the cross. Because he knew that 2,000 years later, in 1983, this old sinner was going to be born and that I was going to need a Savior. And he died on the cross knowing that I was going to come along and that I was going to sin. He came, he came and died on the cross knowing that I was going to be a sinner that needed a friend. Jesus Christ is a friend of sinners. In 1910, J. Wilbur Chapman, who is best known for being a preacher, wrote the words to the song, Jesus, what a friend for sinners. He wrote these words in the first verse, Jesus, what a friend for sinners. Jesus, lover of my soul, friends may fail me, foes assail me, he, my Savior, makes me whole. Hallelujah, what a Savior. Hallelujah, what a friend. Saving, helping, keeping, loving. He is with me to the end. I implore you this morning, if you know not Jesus Christ as your Savior, if you are not 100% sure that if you died in this moment, you would spend an eternity in heaven, you all know how to contact me. You can fill out the form on the website. You can send me a text. You can send me an email. I would love to go into a little bit more detail from the Bible to help you get it settled before it's too late. No one is beyond the reach of Jesus Christ and his grace. No one is too worthless for Jesus Christ to save. No one has done anything that's so bad that they cannot receive that forgiveness of sin. And like the Bible says, inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in Jesus Christ. That's how we get to heaven. And we can know, like the Bible says in 1 John chapter 5 and verse 13, that ye may know that ye have eternal life. So many people live their lives hoping they'll get to heaven. So many people live their lives thinking that maybe they've done enough good to get to heaven. But none of that matters according to the word of God. None of those things matter. The only thing that matters is whether or not we've accepted Jesus Christ as our Savior. He is the payment for that sin. And he wants to save you. Jesus Christ is a friend of sinners, but also, number two, Jesus Christ is a friend in the valley. I turn your attention to one of the most familiar passages in all the Bible, Psalm 23. Most of you might even be able to quote that passage, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, it starts off. But we go through there and we come down in a couple verses to verse number four, and he says this, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Now, Jesus loves everyone, but he's closest to those who know him as their personal savior. Sometimes you feel like you're going through a trial, and you might feel, oh, I'm all alone. You know what? You might be. Because if Jesus Christ, if God is not your father, then you have one other option, and that is the devil as your father. And he's certainly not going to give you comfort through trials. He's certainly not going to give you comfort through those difficult times. But those who know Jesus Christ as their Savior have Jesus as a friend in the valley. There's no doubt that Jesus, number one, is a friend in trials. There's no, there's no doubt that we all go through trials in our life. The situation that we're in right now feels a whole lot like a trial. There are a lot of people out of work, some who are not being compensated for it. There are others who are sick and worried about uh, the, if the coronavirus is, is what's making them feel that way or what will happen if they do contract the coronavirus. Others may not be worried about it themselves, but they're concerned about those that they love. 
And this whole situation aside, we often go through dark nights and difficult days. But I'm here to tell you this morning that Jesus is a friend who walks through those dark valleys with us. He's been there. He went through the darkest day that anyone could ever endure. He was beaten and whipped. He was mocked and tortured. He was bruised for our iniquities. God, his father, the one that he had so heavily relied on throughout his earthly ministry, turned his back on him. Could you imagine not having God to turn to in the middle of a difficult situation? But Jesus went through that darkest night. He went through that valley. And God, because Jesus Christ had taken the sins of all the world on himself, had to turn his back on Jesus Christ, his only begotten son, the Bible says. And Jesus faced that valley alone. He's been through trials. He knows what it's like to go through those things. And he's with us. The Bible is filled with promises that the faithful one will be with us in trials. Try to keep up, but Psalm chapter 27 and verse number 1 says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? And we might say, in the place of whom, what? What shall I fear? Of what shall I be afraid? The Lord is my light. He's my salvation. He's there with me in those trials. Psalm 34, verse 17, the righteous cry, and the Lord heareth and delivereth them out of all their troubles. Now, I do want you to turn to this. Turn to Psalm 46. I love this passage. I love this passage, and I I had a couple verses picked out, but the more I started looking, I can't just pick a couple verses. I want to read this whole passage to you. What a tremendous, tremendous encouragement. You're going through a difficult time. You're going through trials. You're going through dark nights. You're going through difficult days. Turn to Psalm 46 and read through this passage. The Bible says this, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore will not we fear, though the earth be removed, and though the mountain be carried into the midst of the sea, though the waters thereof roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with the swelling thereof, Selah, there is a river, the streams whereof shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacle of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God shall help her, and that right early. The heathen raged. The kingdoms were moved. He uttered his voice. The earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Selah. Come, behold the works of the Lord. What desolations he hath made in the earth. He maketh wars to cease unto the end of the earth. He breaketh the bow and cutteth the spear in sunder. He burneth the chariot in the fire. This is where he wants us to come. Verse number 10. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the heathen. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Selah. Think on these things. Isaiah 41 and verse 13. For I, the Lord thy God, will hold thy right hand, saying unto thee, Fear not, I will help thee. First Peter chapter 5 and verse 7. Casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. I'm not trying to belabor the point, but don't you see? Jesus Christ is our friend in the valley. We're admonished then in Proverbs chapter 3 and verse number 5. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. J. Wilbur Chapman continued with his song in the next verse. Jesus, what a help in sorrow. 
while the billows over me roll. Even when my heart is breaking, he, my comfort, helps my soul. Hallelujah, what a Savior. Hallelujah, what a friend. Saving, helping, keeping, loving. He's with me to the end. Jesus is your friend in trials, but he's also your friend in temptations. As sure as we will face trials, we will also face temptations. Now turn over to Hebrews chapter 4. There's good news there too. Oh, of course, Jesus Christ is going to be with us in trials. If he is our Savior, if we know him as our Savior in our own lives, if we've accepted Jesus Christ as our Savior, he is there with us through those trials. Now let me tell you this. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, then sometimes he allows you to go through those trials so you realize that he is the one that can save you out of those trials. He's the one that can save you out of the situation that you're in. Sometimes he allows us to hit rock bottom so that we'll realize he is the rock at the bottom. And he doesn't do things to hurt us on purpose. He doesn't do things to, because he's God and he can just play with our lives. It's not like little, little army men that he can just move around and throw around and do whatever he wants to. He doesn't toy with our lives. He allows everything to happen for a reason. And if you're going through a trial and you know not Jesus Christ as your Savior, it very well may be that the reason he's allowing you to go through that trial in your life is to point you to himself. But once you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, he will be with you in trials, but he'll also be with you in temptations. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse number 15 says this, For we have not an high priest, which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. You know what I'm thankful for? I'm thankful for the fact that I don't have to go through a man to forgive my sins. I don't have to go to somebody who can forgive my sins for me. I don't have to confess all of those things to him and then have him tell me, well, go do this, this, and this, and that will pay for your sins. My sins have already been paid for by Jesus Christ on the cross. And he is a high priest. I don't have to go to a high priest anymore. Jesus Christ is that high priest. And when he died on the cross, he rent the veil in the temple. He did away with all of those things so that I don't have to go through some other man anymore. I can go directly to Jesus Christ. That's why he says, therefore, come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and that we may find grace to help in time of need. That means more to some than others because some have honestly stopped fighting the temptations. They look forward to the temptations because they're ready to give in the moment it rears its head. But for those who fight it and for those who are trying to be right with God, the fact that Jesus has been there and is right with us to help us through those temptations helps us to fight those temptations and it's a great comfort to us. Do you know that Jesus went out into the wilderness and he spent 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness and while he was there, he didn't eat, he didn't drink and he came out of that obviously very physically weak Jesus Christ was all God, but he was also all man at the same time. He hungered, he thirsted, he cried, he had emotions. He was all man. But Jesus Christ came out of that 40 days in the wilderness, and the moment he came out of the wilderness, Satan came and tempted him three times. And in all three of those times, Jesus Christ responded with Scripture, and he never failed in that temptation. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 13 says this, There hath no temptation taken you. But such as is common to man, but God is faithful, who will also with the temptation make a way of escape that ye may be able to bear it. In other words, 
There is no temptation that is so strong that we cannot handle it. Oh, sometimes those temptations are tough. Sometimes it's hard to turn away from sin. But God always makes a way of escape. And he's there with us in those temptations. J. Wilbur Chapman continued with his song in the next verse. Jesus, what a strength and weakness. Let me hide myself in him. Tempted, tried, and often failing, he, my strength, my victory wins. Hallelujah, what a savior. Hallelujah, what a friend. Saving, helping, keeping, loving. He's with me to the end. Jesus is a friend to sinners. He's a friend in the valley. And lastly, and quickly, let me give you number three. Jesus is the friend of those who follow him. Turn over to James chapter 4. James chapter number 4. James gets very pointed in the people that he is talking to and writing to in his letter. But in James chapter 4 and verse number 4, he says this very boldly. Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God. In other words, when we love the world, when we love the things of this world instead of the things of God, it puts us as adversaries of God. It puts us at enmity with God. Whosoever, therefore, will be a friend of the world is an enemy of God. Now, I think the opposite of that is also true. Whosoever will be an enemy of the world is a friend of God. We cannot love the sin of this world and love God at the same time. Edwin Cooper was famous across America, yet nobody really knew his real name. Um, he came from a family of circus clowns. He began performing before audiences when he was just nine years old. And after a stint with the Barnum and Bailey Circus, he became a fixture on television in the 1950s as Bozo the Clown. And boy, what a name that is. Everybody knows. Oh, quit acting like Bozo the Clown, you know, even if you've never seen it in the 1950s. Uh, but in addition to entertaining both the young and the old, Cooper, Bozo, had a message for what he called his buddies and his partners every week. He told them, get checked for cancer. Get checked for cancer. That was his message. But Cooper was so busy working that he neglected to follow his own advice. And by the time his cancer was discovered, it was too late to be treated. And Edwin Cooper, who became known as Bozo the Clown to every kid across the country, died at just 41 years of age from a disease that he had warned everyone else to watch out for. Sin is far more deadly than the most aggressive and fast-growing cancer. I've seen it happen in my own family. Cancer is a ravaging disease. Sin, though, kills and destroys everything it touches. From the fall of Adam all the way throughout the Bible until now, sin takes no prisoners. Sin destroys our life. That's the purpose behind everything Satan does. Jesus said that, behold, the thief, is, the thief cometh not, but for to steal and to kill and destroy. Because of his evil nature and because of his hatred of everything good, the devil brings destruction to everything within his reach. And when we regard sin the way God does, when we see our sin for what it really is and we see God for who he really is, we don't find anything amusing or humorous about it. We're not going to make the subject of the jokes we tell or those that we hear. We're not going to allow ourselves to be tempted to get a little closer to the line to see how close we can get and still be safe. We're going to turn as far away from those temptations as we can. We're going to turn as far away from sin as we can. God hates sin with a holy and a righteous fury, and so should we. 
When we find ourselves amused by sin or drawn to sin with no desire to put it away from us, then that's time to focus on the cross. Seeing the price that was paid for our sin reminds us that it's not a laughing matter and that we ought to do everything we can to fight against it. Now, we're done. So we won't take the time to read the many verses in the Bible that speak of the blessings that come to those who follow God with their whole hearts. But I want you to turn to one more passage. Turn over to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. To those who are familiar, you know that Hebrews chapter 11 is what is known as the hall of faith. All of those, many of those that are listed in in bigger stories all the way throughout the Bible are listed in one verse after another in Hebrews chapter 11. And God commends them for their faith in Jesus Christ. By the way, of all of those in Hebrews chapter 11, not one was commended for their good works. They're all commended for their faith in Jesus Christ. Because it's only through faith in Jesus Christ that we can get to heaven. It's not through anything that we've done, anything that we can do. But in Hebrews chapter 11, in verse number 16, talking about a list of all of those that he had been going through up to that point, he said this, But now they desire a better country, that is, in heavenly. Wherefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he hath prepared for them a city. Do you think God would be ashamed to be called your God? I'm sure you're like me. I want to be a friend of Jesus Christ. Twice in the Bible, once in the New Testament, once in the Old Testament, we're given that phrase about Abraham. He was a friend of God. I want that to be said about me. There's no doubt that Jesus is a friend to those who follow his commandments. By the time the 51-year-old J. Wilbur Chapman was writing the hymn that I've been referencing in 1910, he had experienced his share of heartache. But he'd also felt happiness and satisfaction many times over. His first two wives and an infant son were all dead within a span of 20 years left him as a widower with four children in 1907. But J. Wilbur Chapman's evangelism focus, his partnership with other people in the early 20th century throughout North of America and Asia actually converted thousands to Christianity. It's said that in that, in that span of time between uh, when, he, when he went through all, a lot of those heartaches and when he actually wrote this song, he saw well over 8,000 people come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. What a contrast in experience for Chapman. Death so close to his heart, but also the exhilaration of seeing thousands of people reborn and come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. But it was in this period, following the death of his second wife in 1907, that J. Wilbur Chapman wrote two other hymns and actually published a hymn book in, um, in that year. But he was getting ready to marry his third wife in 1910, and Perhaps that was on his mind, I don't know, but he composed this hymn about his friend, Jesus. What it must have been for him to look back over those 51 years of his life and see the valleys and see the mountaintops and to reflect on all of the travels from one end of the globe to the other. And if anyone needed a friend, J. Wilbur Chapman must have seen and felt for himself the hurts of life that came upon so many people that he came to know. And many of those same people probably had come through Difficult episodes to meet and trust in Jesus Christ. These are the words he wrote in the last verse. Jesus, I do now receive him. More than all in him I find. He has granted me forgiveness. I am his. 
He is mine. Hallelujah. What a Savior. Hallelujah. What a friend. Saving, helping, keeping, loving. He's with me to the end. Proverbs 18 tells us that we have a friend that sticks closer than a brother. That friend is Jesus Christ. Jesus is a friend of sinners. We're told in Revelation that he stands at the door of your heart and knocks. He's not trying to come away from you. He's not trying to push you away because you're a sinner. He's standing at your heart. And he's knocking and he's saying, won't you let me in? I want to be your friend. I want to be your savior. He begs you to receive him. No one is too good and no one is too bad. He's made that very clear in John chapter 3 and verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus is a friend to sinners, but he's a friend in the valley. He walks through the trials with us. He's there with us in temptation, looking for a way to give us an escape. And Jesus is a friend to those that follow him. Jesus loves us no matter what. He loves us unconditionally, but for all he's done for me, I certainly want to love him back. And I want to prove it to him that I do. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Again, we thank you for the time that we can spend together this morning. And God, thank you for being a friend to me. I thank you for that day as a young boy that I was able to come to know you as my Savior. Doesn't make me better than anybody else. Doesn't make me sinless. Doesn't make me perfect. But it makes me saved. And it makes me have the assurance that when I die, I'm going to go straight from this earth. My last step on this earth is going to be my first step in heaven. The last breath on this earth is going to be my first breath in heaven. God, I'm looking forward to that day, but I pray that if there is some that might be watching this morning that don't know you as their Savior, I pray that they would get that settled today. Pray that they would talk to somebody, me if necessary, to talk to somebody who can show them how they can be sure that they can go to heaven when they die. God, I pray that you'd use the message in our hearts to help us realize that we have so much to live for. Help us realize that we have somebody, you, who loves us and cares about us and wants to be our friend no matter what we go through. Thank you for what you do in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, we're not going to have a specific invitation. The piano is going to play, and we're going to have an invitation time. Those who are here in the service this morning, we're not going to come forward. You can pray there at your, at your seats if you'd like to do that. But those who are listening at home, I want to urge you, that if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, get that taken care of today. This is not a religion. It's a relationship with Jesus Christ. This is not something we do so we can have fire insurance and make sure that we're not going to hell. This is about having a relationship with a person, Jesus Christ, who loves you more than anyone will ever love you, who knows you better than anyone will ever know you, and, and, and yet still calls you to himself. Won't you come to know Jesus Christ as your Savior? I mentioned it already, but call me, text me, email me, get a hold of me somehow. I'd love to go through the Bible with you and show you how you too can know for sure beyond any shadow of a doubt 
that when you die, you can go to heaven. But beyond that, I want you to know that there's somebody in your corner, somebody that's walking through the trials with you, somebody that's walking through the temptations with you and wants to help you through them, somebody that wants to be your friend, somebody that wants you to just follow his word, somebody that wants you to just live his commandments. He's there. He's there. Won't you take a couple minutes as the piano plays this morning, right where you are, wherever you are, in your living room or wherever you're watching, won't you kneel down and spend a little bit of time in prayer asking God to help you to be the Christian and the servant that he wants you to be? If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, won't you accept him today? There is no magical prayer. There is no magical words that get you into heaven. But a prayer of somebody that needs to know Jesus Christ and wants to know Jesus Christ as their Savior might go something like this. Dear Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I've done bad things in my life. But I know you died on the cross to pay for those sins. And God, I'm repenting of those sins. I'm sorry that my sins had made you have to die on the cross. Would you please come into my heart and save me? Take me to heaven when I die. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, those words are not magic. They don't have to be exact, but it has to come from the heart. The Bible says in Romans chapter 10 and verse 9 and 10 that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Verse 13 says, And whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall, not might, shall be saved. If you prayed that prayer this morning and you reached out to Jesus Christ in faith to save you from your sins, won't you reach out to me and let me know that? I'd love to follow up with you and give you some confirmation because you know what? Whether we get baptized or not doesn't matter whether we go to heaven. Look about the thief on the cross. He accepted Jesus Christ as his Savior as he was dying. He didn't have time to come down off the cross and get baptized. And yet Jesus said, today thou shalt be with me in paradise. Well, baptism is a good next step to show that you've been saved, but it has nothing to do with salvation. But we can have the assurance that we can, when we die, we can go to heaven. And the Bible says that no man, nothing, can take us out of the Father's hands once we become his. Pray that you'll accept him this morning. And once you have, know He's a friend that will never leave you. He'll never forsake you. He'll never change. And he's there for you. Take a couple minutes this morning. Reach out to him. Amen. Well, this is the conclusion of our service. We're going to have a word of prayer. We always sing a chorus at the end of our service.
to help remind us that we have a responsibility as Christians to be a witness for Jesus Christ. So we're going to do that as we close as well. But thank you for joining us. We're going to plan to continue doing this as long as we're able. And um, hopefully you'll be able to share this with other people as well. Let's go ahead and pray, and we'll be finished this morning. Father, we love you. Again, we thank you so much for the time we can spend together here around your word. I pray that you'd help us, God, that we, if there are people that do not know you as their Savior, that they'd get that taken care of today. But beyond that, God, that we do everything we can to draw closer to you. Oh, God, we want to live for you. We want to be right with you. We want you to be pleased with us. And so, Father, I pray that you would use the message in our hearts this morning, that the Holy Spirit would continue to convict our hearts about the need to live for you. Thank you for what you do for us in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's close with our chorus. Each one can reach one. As we follow after Christ, we all can lead one.